Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today, all of it brought to you by Blinds.com. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get $20 off at Blinds.com when you go to Blinds.com and use the promo code Martini. That's good for faux wood blinds, cellular shades, rollerblades, and more. Blinds.com, promo code Martini. Much more on that a little bit later in the podcast. Jim, let's start with our good martini. And this is kind of a combo of good martinis. Uh, We know from several months ago that the Trump administration wanted to change the rules regarding Title X funding. This gets a little bit uh, arcane, and I'm sure you can explain it better than me, but uh, that's uh, ways that different health care providers, and I use that term a little bit loosely in the case of Planned Parenthood, used to get federal dollars. Now, they weren't supposed to be used for abortions, but you never know exactly how the folks at Planned Parenthood are using the half a billion dollars that they get from taxpayers. Well, the Trump administration made a rule that you can't advocate for abortion if you're getting the money. Planned Parenthood welched at that. They took uh, the administration to court. They lost at the Ninth Circuit. Here's CBS reporter Jan Crawford. Calling the new Trump administration rule unethical and dangerous, Planned Parenthood said it had no choice but to withdraw from the federal program and turn down some $60 million a year because it is unwilling to counsel patients if it could not refer them for abortions. Oh, wait, if only there were a court precedent for this. Oh, wait, there is. By law, the federal money could never be used to perform abortions. But under the new rule, clinics that get money under the program no longer can refer patients for abortions. The rule is almost identical to one issued by the Reagan administration and upheld in 1991 by the Supreme Court. So $60 million is not half a billion, Jim, but I'll take it. And it also shows what happens when you win elections and get to nominate judges. So win-win. Yeah, this is obviously kind of a little bit of a surprise. And in some in my circles, there were some interesting discussions about what Planned Parenthood's endgame is here, because you could basically say, OK, we're not going to discuss abortions. We're not going to recommend abortions. We're not going to advocate for abortions in these programs. Please keep giving us the 60 million dollars. And then, of course, just lie. <laughs> you know, just keep doing it. Um, instead, they chose to do this. And because and so the interesting question is, whether this gives them, uh, they can go to their base, uh, they can go to their donors and say, we've never been more oppressed. Trump is clamping down on us, well, you know, and all kind of stuff. Now, look, as we've discussed on this uh, podcast quite a few times, they have two simultaneous arguments. One is that abortions are just a really tiny fraction of what we do. We're really all about women's health, yada, yada. They don't do any mammograms. They don't do a whole bunch of stuff that people would consider to be women's health. They don't do. They simultaneously insist that... Uh, Abortion is a very small fraction of what they do, but also any efforts to reduce federal funding to them would suddenly cause some sort of terrible catastrophic disaster for American women from coast to coast. And, you know, no matter how many times this contradiction gets pointed out, they tap dance around it and call everyone who opposes them extremists, et cetera, et cetera. In this one, um, you know, one, it makes sense that if you are not allowed to pay for abortions, that you probably would not be allowed to use money from a different program to advocate for abortions or to recommend people abortions or to send them in the right direction to get abortions. Pro-lifers are celebrating over this. They should be. My suspicion is, as I said, is you will probably see Planned Parenthood attempt to emphasize 
this in their fundraising attempts. And uh, I thought it was kind of interesting in light of the Leanne Wynn controversy they had a little bit earlier this year. This was the director they had appointed, who was a doctor, um, who ran afoul of other people in the organization in trouble with the board, eventually got dismissed for allegedly not, you know, focusing too much on healthcare, <laughs> not being political enough. They really wanted her to advocate and focus on abortion. And it sounded like she, well, by the way, was not pro-life by any stretch of the imagination. This woman was an abortionist. Uh, but for whatever reason, we really ran into friction there. So my suspicion is, is that Planned Parenthood, over time, is becoming more and more an organization that is not really protected by political activism. It is becoming an organization whose purpose is political activism. And in a very strange way, they may see themselves in a situation in which a defeat, which galvanizes their people who care, their supporters, galvanizes their donors, it gets people opening up their wallets and contributing on, online and all that kind of stuff. Quote, unquote, Planned Parenthood would rather have the issue to run on. Now, they're not a candidate. They're not a campaign. They're not a political action committee. But, Greg, I think at this point, they've kind of become indistinguishable from one. No, that's absolutely right. The fact that they put their political purity over their supposed mission here, and that's providing help for women, they're just going to throw that away because of their absolute purpose for existence, and that is abortion, really kind of exposes their, their double game here. Well said. Ultimately, Planned Parenthood as a whole and the Planned Parenthood Action Committee uh, are now indistinguishable. That's exactly right. And as uh, Republicans and conservatives and certainly pro-lifers have said uh, for many years, it's just kind of a revolving door. Uh, They get half a billion dollars over there at Planned Parenthood, which then donates a huge chunk of it back to Democrats, which keep making sure that they get their half a billion dollars. And and that number is probably going to increase over time unless Republicans can get the numbers to do something about it. So uh, it's a vicious cycle. And they've, uh, again, been exposed here. So good on a number of fronts. All right. Let's talk about not being politically blind. Let's talk about the blinds for your windows here. For many of us, your blinds or whatever you have on your windows is an afterthought. But with brand new made to order custom window coverings from blinds.com, you can really transform the look and feel of your entire home. So when you need new blinds, there's only one place to go, blinds.com. With 15 million windows covered and over 30,000 five-star customer reviews, blinds.com is America's number one online retailer for affordable, quality custom window coverings. Whether you're looking for energy efficiency, maybe you just moved, or you want to refresh the look of your home, blinds.com makes the whole experience fast and easy. Plus, every order gets free samples, free shipping, and a free online design consultation. You just send them pictures of your house, and they send back custom recommendations from a professional for what will work with your color scheme, furniture, and specific rooms. They'll even send you free samples to make sure everything looks as good in person as it does online. And once again, every order gets free shipping. Now, this is the best part. If you accidentally mismeasure or pick the wrong color, In other words, if you make a mistake, Blinds.com will remake your blinds for free. They've made it really easy for you, so there's no excuse to leave up those mangled blinds. And for a limited time, 3 Martini Lunch listeners can get $20 off at Blinds.com when you use the promo code MARTINI. That's Blinds.com, promo code MARTINI for $20 off. For wood blinds, cellular shades, roller shades, and much more. Blinds.com, promo code MARTINI. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad martini now. And it's kind of a double-fisted bad martini here, unfortunately. And it deals with sanctuary cities and counties 
simply doing the unthinkable, although lately there's not much that's truly unthinkable anymore. But North Carolina, Mecklenburg County, and Montgomery County, Maryland, stand up and take a ridiculously shameful bow here. Let's start in North Carolina. This is CBS Channel 17's website here. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement officials arrested a Honduran man after deputies in Mecklenburg County released him despite rape and child sex charges. Authorities say Oscar Pacheco Leonardo, 33, a repeat immigration violator, was targeted during an enforcement operation in Mecklenburg County on August 9th. According to a release from ICE, the Mecklenburg County Sheriff's Office refused to honor an ICE detainer or even notify ICE of the release resulting in Pacheco's release despite first-degree rape and indecent liberties with a minor charges. Pacheco was previously removed from the United States to Honduras in July 2006 and illegally re-entered, the release says. Pacheco was arrested by the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department on June 14th on one count of first-degree rape and two counts of indecent liberties with a child. A detainer was issued the following day, but it was not honored. Let's move over to Maryland. That's where uh, Montgomery County ignored a detainer request by ICE and released an alleged rapist from its custody. Uh, Rodrigo Castro Montejo, a 25-year-old Salvadoran national, was arrested by local authorities in Montgomery County on August 10th and charged with second-degree rape and second-degree assault. Immigration and Customs Enforcement placed a detainer request on him August 12th because Castro Montejo is living in the U.S. illegally. This is according to the Daily Caller. However, the Montgomery County Detention Center ignored the request and released him the following day. News of Castro Montejo's release marks the latest national headline for the liberal enclave since County Executive Mark Elrich, a Democrat, signed an executive order that largely prohibits local law enforcement from interacting with ICE. Jim? The worst of the worst are getting an easy ride here from these liberal enclaves just because they don't want to follow the law. Remember a couple of years ago when Arizona tried to have its own immigration enforcement policy? They were authorizing state and local uh, law enforcement to ask people about their citizenship status. Yeah. And there was this very strong argument of, no, no, you can't do that. And eventually the Supreme Court did strike that down, arguing, hey, it's not the job of states and localities to set immigration policy. It is a federal government responsibility. And only the federal government can do that. And that was generally the argument of the Democrats, the left, folks like that. So here we are now, Greg, and the attitude of the sanctuary cities is that, okay, federal government wants to enforce immigration law. And now they're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to cooperate with that. We will actually, we will actively impede you, as you see local law officials, local officials, you know, warning illegal immigrant communities that uh, ICE raids are coming and, and things like that. Which is this very, you know, convenient way of having it both ways. That you know, no, you localities that want more enforcement, you can't do this. But also, localities that don't want to cooperate with, you know, the enforcement that is there, don't have to. Now, the other thing which is interesting, you know, people who listen to this, this podcast know our positions on this, Greg. You know, I don't like sanctuary cities in the slightest, but if, you, if a sanctuary city mayor or city council wanted to say, look, we're not going to cooperate when the deportation off order uh, or ICE is interested in Manuel, the busboy, who's been here for 12 years and who has no criminal record other than a uh, speeding ticket or, or some, you know, some, some sort of mundane misdemeanor, nonviolent crime. I, I don't like that perspective. I, I could, guess I could somewhat understand it. But this blanket idea of we're not going to cooperate with federal uh, ICE in any situation means inevitably, like, no, no matter how you know, much you want to believe that the people coming across the border are, are mostly good folks and most of them just want to live the American dream and all that, look, inevitably, some of them are going to be bad people. We can argue about what percentage that is. Maybe it's a very, very small minority, but that still means, you know, 
one rapist in your community can do a lot of damage, can do a lot of bad things. One murderer in your community, right? One violent person, child abuser, MS-13 gang, you know, any one small group of these bad guys can do a lot of damage to your community. And you'd like to think it would be in everybody's interest if these people are in the country illegally to get them shipped out. But apparently they don't because these mayors and city councils are so wedded to this idea that people who come into the country cannot be sent back, that any effort to send them back is inherently xenophobic, that it is inherently racist, that it is inherently immoral and wrong, that they're more comfortable with letting violent criminals walk around on the streets and letting them out of prison, letting them out of the local city jail when they get picked up rather than cooperate with federal law enforcement. It is morally asinine and it's kind of mind-boggling that this hasn't generated. Even you, You'd like to think that the average liberal, blue, progressive person who lives in a sanctuary city would like to not be a victim of violent crime. You'd like to think that'd be sufficient effort to get these guys to say, whoa, whoa, guys, I can understand what you're doing for the nonviolent offenders, but can we at least cooperate with ICE on the violent offenders? And I don't, I, you know, I don't know if right. Maybe this, these cases will stir some outrage. I don't think it's going to happen, though. And, uh, you know, people are willing to live with risk rather than actually, uh, you know, uh, admit that maybe the folks who want immigration restrictions might have a point. Well, they certainly have a good point. I would certainly make the case that the the one in North Carolina who had already been deported for coming here illegally and was back ought to be uh, the, the target of deportation for breaking the law again just on that. But certainly when you factor in the violent crimes, it becomes what should be a no-brainer. An interesting twist here, though, is that since Elrich, uh, the county executive up in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is just outside Washington, signed this executive order saying they're not going to cooperate with ICE, uh, the county has actually arrested a couple of other uh, folks in the country illegally for violent crimes, specifically the repeated rape of an 11-year-old girl. I am not going to go into the details that the Daily Caller includes here. It is just too heinous. But Montgomery County actually did, in fact, honor the detainer and, and handed those folks over when their time in, in custody in Montgomery County ended. But the, the, the paragraph here in the Daily Caller says, however, in just a month since the order was signed by Elrich, the Democrat-run county has attracted national attention for the arrests of illegal aliens accused of rape, which means, Jim, they were getting grief for this. Mind-boggling. Just, just absolutely uh... You sure this isn't the crazy martini, Greg? <laughs> it certainly could be. But no, we've got a crazy martini here. And Jim, you were right. I say this from back in 2017. We were doing our year-end awards, and one of the ones that we always uh, find one of our favorites is the person fading off into political oblivion. And I was torn between two choices. I thought about going with John Ossoff, who, as you pointed out that year in that very podcast, was the right choice. Uh, after being the golden boy and then losing the race for that special seat in Georgia. Um, then there was Anthony Scaramucci, who lasted all of 11 days as the White House communications director. So I picked Scaramucci, and you immediately said, I don't know about that one. I don't think he's going away. He's back. The Mooch is back, but he's only back and in the good graces of the liberal mainstream media because now he has turned on Donald Trump. He's decided he's just seen too much. Uh He's got a new column in the Washington Post explaining why he's speaking out against Trump now. And he's also making the rounds on TV and has been for a couple of weeks now. Here he is with Allison Camerata of CNN. Listen to how seriously suddenly Camerata, CNN, and all the folks in the mainstream media are taking this guy. I, you have to break for your children, okay? I have five children. You can't 
have the social fabric of the United States disintegrate over one man. Yeah. You I know, mean, a listen, recession Anthony, is I mean, like I, a bone I, break, uh, Allison. Listen, it's very interesting but, to hear you because you were such a supporter and you worked in the White House. But, uh, you know, as you know, so many people on the Democratic side have felt this way for a long time, that the president was tearing at the fabric of the, the country. But, but I want to ask you this, Anthony, who is that viable alternative? Who is the Republican that you think could step in and garner the support that well, President I mean, Trump the- Spoiler, he didn't have a name. But uh, in his Washington Post column, he says that uh, he's really been turning against Trump for a long time. First, there was Charlottesville, which is now two years ago. Then it's the, the child separation policy. And the thing that uh, he says put him over the edge was the tweet that Trump sent out about uh, Omar and uh, Rashida Tlaib and AOC going back to fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came. Jim, uh, if you believe that the, that tweet is why Anthony Scaramucci uh, turned on Donald Trump, I've got some uh, oceanfront property in Kansas to sell you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I was glad that it, when the question from Allison Camerata began, I thought she was going to say, you know, it would be more skepticism to like, now? Really? <laughs> you, you just noted, oh, you, you supported Donald Trump because you thought he'd be good for the social fabric? You thought this guy was going to be the guy who's going to unite everybody in a big kumbaya? Pull up a chair, get something to drink. I'm going to rant a bit. <laughs> I, feel, I feel the need to preface this. So there are a lot of reasons I have beefs with Donald Trump. Uh, high among them is, I think, the, you know, is this idea that you know, he, he, for much as he brags about, oh, I only hire the best people or something. Uh, oh, yeah, only the best. Everything's the best. Yada yada. Trump is is ludicrously unself-aware about how easily flattered he is. About how easily he, he loves suck-ups. He hates any type of pushback. He hates anybody coming along and telling him, I'm sorry, Mr. President, I just don't think it's a good idea. Here's why. Uh, He takes great personal offense at anybody who tells him that he's wrong, even if he actually is wrong. And as a result of that, he prefers people who are uh, insufferably transparent suck-ups. And he finds himself in a situation where people he trusted end up, quote-unquote, betraying him. Now, sometimes they end up betraying him by simply saying things he doesn't like. But very often, they do completely turn on him 180 degrees. This is because you know, he loves to emphasize personal loyalty to him. You may have noticed that we didn't see quite this same phenomenon with George W. Bush, with uh, George H.W. Bush, with Ronald Reagan. And really, Reagan, you know, uh, Reagan obviously is the perfect example of this. But the people around Reagan, of course, they adored him. Of course, they believed he was the guy who was going to completely transform the country and turn around the malaise of the 1970s. But they also believed in his cause. They also believed in his policies, right? Um, they believed that they were in this grand shared endeavor and that in, as much as they loved Reagan, that in the end, it was about the Reagan agenda, right? It was about changing the laws, about policies, right? You know, it was about ideas. Trump is not about that. Trump is about Trump. And the people who are around Trump are loyal to Trump in part because they see him as a meal ticket. They see him as a uh, ticket to greater fame and fortune. And, and you know, also, and let's observe, not, there is no other campaign in the 20, you know, out of the 17 candidates on the Republican side in 2016 who would ever have had, say, Steve Bannon as one of the campaign managers. There is not another single campaign that would have ever hired. I mean, I know Scaramucci apparently was loosely affiliated with one of the campaigns. None of, not a single other figure would have made Scaramucci the White House communications director. And you can go down the list: Michael Cohen, Omarosa, right? Um, have previous presidents had issues with their cabinet members? Sure. Um, you haven't seen people like Rex uh, Tillerson come out and basically trash the president. You haven't seen. 
proud Cuban cabinet members come out and say, this president's an idiot, I can't stand this guy. The Mattis resignation letter was very clear. There was not a single positive thing towards the president in that one. I think it's pretty clear that, uh, that uh, Mattis holds uh, President Trump in, in a considerable amount of contempt. There are a whole bunch of reasons for this, but among them, Trump is really bad at picking people. And part of it is that he has these wacko reality show folks. In the case of Omarosa, literally, right, the freak show comes in with him. And they are, why did, how did they get there? Well, they're all suck-ups. They all play to the president's ego. Oh, Mr. President, that's the best idea ever. You're a genius, Mr. President. Yada, 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 going on and on and on again. And Trump goes through this over and over again. He keeps being shocked that Michael Cohen, who used to brag about how he would take a bullet for the president, is suddenly testifying against him on Capitol Hill. He is shocked that Omarosa has decided to write a book about how terrible things were in the White House, right? Now, Omarosa was in some documentary right before 2016 election who said that once Trump is elected, all of America will have to bow down to him, right? And I remember that really stuck in my craw, like at a deep personal level, because it so demonstrated neither she nor anybody else around him understood what the first thing of what the bleepity bleep the presidency is about. In the United States of America, we do not bow down to our president, right? His job is not to rule over us. This is not a king. We fought a whole revolution about all this stuff, right? And so this entire crowd, which is all very Hollywood, very, you know, Manhattan narcissist show business, they're all complete. They don't know the first thing about what America is about. They don't know the first thing about the Constitution. They don't know the first thing about any of this stuff. This is the environment that is cultivated. So am I the least bit surprised that Scaramucci is now trying to reinvent himself as some impassioned anti-Trump first person? You know, some people might say, oh, he's, he's following the Max Boot Trail or the Jenna Rubin Trail. Uh, or maybe even the William Crystal Trail, right? The people who were always on the right who now all of a sudden are you know, leading the charge against a Republican president. This is the next act in the Scaramucci show. And I'm just tired of these people uh, being treated as serious thinkers who, who are worth listening to. Because basically what Scaramucci is saying is that nothing I said when I was defending Trump, you should believe anymore. I was totally wrong on this. This is my gripe with Max Boot who had a big fight with National Review when I was on vacation last week. Whenever you come out and say, hey, remember what I told you for a few decades? Never mind. I don't want to listen to you for a really long time. So rant over, Greg. I just, yeah, that's, this is my, this is the sputtering rage I have been left to with the fact that we have to sit through another season of the Scarred Witchy Show. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And to watch them uh, not learn any lessons, I'm not going to put Scaramucci quite in the Avenatti category, but basically anyone with a pulse who hates Trump, particularly if you at one time didn't hate Trump, is just absolutely uh, fascinating to the folks at CNN and far beyond. Scaramucci, by the way, also predicting that Trump will be dropping out of the presidential race no later than March uh, because he'll be so far behind and he can't take the prospect of losing. So I'm sure you'll be taking that one to the bank. Yeah. Again, you know, you people would say, have I ever been wrong about somebody I voted for? Sure. Sure. I understand Bob McDonald's doing some event in North, Northern Virginia in a couple of weeks. I voted for Evan McMullen, who is now retweeting that White National Review is a white supremacist, white nationalist thing. By the way, as far as I know, Greg, he still owes vendors money. Uh, I just, as long as he's going to attack National Review, I just feel the need to repeat that every chance I get. So whatever you do, don't loan Evan McMullen money. Um, but do this, you know, so yeah, do we make it? Sure. But this idea when you suddenly say, hey, remember that guy who I went to work for uh, and who I said could throw a tight spiral through a, uh, a tire 50 yards out? And, you know, I mean, Scaramucci gushed about Donald Trump as if he walked on water. And now all of a sudden, hey, I just noticed everyone. He's bad for America's social cohesion. 
Thank you. Thank you, Booch. Your skills of observation observation are unsurpassed in this country. Oh, Jim. Excellent rant. Mid-season form, and we're only in the NFL preseason, so <laughs> can't wait to see what comes next. Have a good day. Catch your breath. We'll do it again tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget, right now, three Martini Lunch listeners can get $20 off at blinds.com when you use the promo code martini. Blinds.com, promo code martini. And tune in again Wednesday for the next three Martini Lunch.